Hello, hope you're all well. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod, um, and this week I am joined by Jenny Patterson. Um, she's built a career um, in PR, and she takes me through that journey from sort of uh, a bit of a weird hippie commune um, in Dundee that had never ex- existed um, to Glasgow to London uh, and then she was drawn back to Dundee uh, where she started up her own PR firm and then uh, where she is now which is uh, at V&A Dundee. One of the things that um, before we recorded the episode me and Jenny were chatting about and I, what I've realised is that I never... I've never really revealed how I start episodes with guests. Um, I mean, not deliberately, it's nothing uh, that's great, but I thought it might be a little bit interesting. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I really hate doing introductions with people in front of me. I find them very sort of contrived and, and false and just a bit awkward. So that's why I have this thing where I just sort of ask people to start speaking and I, I sort of fade it up um, and I do this bit here where I, I introduce my guests and then they do the outro after um, but the question that I ask people is always take me through your journey um, starting wherever you think is interesting and that's pretty much um, from the vast majority of the episodes that's how people sort of kick it off but I, I, after chatting to Jenny I sort of realised that I've, I've never said that and probably a lot of people listening don't necessarily know unless they've been a guest um what happens before that sort of fade up um so yeah it's, it's really it's kind of interesting where people like to start how far back they're sort of they want to go or what they think is interesting um but yeah i thought that'd be a nice little insight for for the intro but yeah, I mean, before we get into the episode, um, thank you so much to everyone who has supported the podcast. If you'd like to do so, if you've been enjoying um, episodes over the past sort of, I think it must like five years, um, then there's a little way that you can now support it. So you can buy me a cup of coffee if you go to ko-fi.com forward slash ccc Dundee. And yeah, all the help is, is really appreciated. But yeah, um... Yeah, let's get into this week's episode. This is media officer and um, PR extraordinaire, Jenny Patterson. Well, when I was starting to think about this and to think about what makes me tick as somebody who has always circled around creative endeavours, creative atmospheres, creative scenes, um, I thought about I, how I grew up and... It's only really as I got older, I realised it was quite a sort of radical, maybe even like hippie upbringing. Um, but I was brought up uh, just on the outskirts of Dundee, just near the Michelin factory um, in a place called Piquero House, which was actually set up to be a community, um, a Catholic community where people had sort of shared values. So I guess from the early age of about six, seven I was introduced to people who work together to achieve things that are not ne- they're not necessarily within their own households, but they've got a shared set of values and a shared set of goals. And I suppose from there, I've always enjoyed being part of a community. Um, I mean, obviously, I've got my own family, but creating a community and being part of a scene that was out with my sort of siblings and mum and dad. So that's quite radical, or am I? Does, does that not sound that radical? No, I mean it, it definitely in a sort of <laughs> living environment. It yeah. seems very radical. Yeah, um, and for Dundee too. I mean, it's quite yeah. an unusual thing. So. I'd never, yeah, I'd never, yeah, never it's heard a, of that. A be- beautiful, beautiful old um, house. Uh, it was kind of, I guess, its main architect who worked on it in the early 1900s as an architect called Robert Lorimer. And there's some of his pieces actually in V&A Dundee Scottish Design Galleries, which I was quite shocked to see oh my god so yeah kind of crazy but yeah but I'm saying that when I grew up I mean I wasn't sort of thinking oh I'm involved in some bizarre theological experiment I mean I was just riding around my BMX thinking oh this is normal but uh, but yeah I think since then I've always enjoyed being part of a scene and if I and sometimes I think that's what PR is how do you create a bit of a collective scene or a collective energy around 
a person, a product, whatever it is that you're trying to encourage people to care about and want to know more about. Yeah, I mean, that you've just stolen one of my questions there. Like, what is PR? But yeah, it's, it's a really nice explanation of it, making people care about things. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the world, isn't it? You've got to kind of cut through a lot of noise. You've got to find your advocates, find your people who are going to champion you. And uh, and it's hard to always do that yourself. I mean, most most people who build successful brands or have successful profiles, I mean, they themselves are, you know, the, the magic. But you need people around you to help tell that story consistently and you know be your eyes and ears and yeah so it's it's a fun job it's a kind of you're right though it's a, it is a job that most people say I have no idea what that is and sometimes I do think am I in the right boundaries of what PR is or have I just crossed over into a whole load of other things but maybe that's the fun of it. So I mean at what point did you start moving towards PR as, a, as, an, as an option as a thing? in your life well like most people who you know do jobs that are not maybe you know and there's no there very rarely is a drop down box for PI you know when you're filling out forms which always makes me think yeah it's not and, and not really, a real thing a designer is also <laughs> I know. In there like you have to think oh, IT. other yeah. <laughs> yeah just another um but I didn't I didn't at all know what it was or what it is uh I kind I guess I had my first experience of knowing how to sell which is at its most basic form when I had a brilliant job in Glasgow in a very cool shoe shop called Pied de Terre I don't know if people will remember that but it was in Princess Square which was this beautiful well it still is gorgeous shopping centre and again talking about a scene so the Vivian Westwood shop was across the way um October Cafe was the sort of the bar restaurant so if you had a job in there you were just part of this really cool sort of Saturday scene and I had a brilliant boss who her dad was a butcher or something she really knew how to sell and we were selling really expensive shoes to probably people that didn't all you know some the customers were wealthy but it yeah it was about how do you infuse energy into something so it wasn't even about buying a pair of shoes it was about being in the Piedator store and the music was on and it was Saturday and people just wanted to have a good time and so I guess maybe I understood how when you can create an atmosphere around something and I know that sounds so mercenary but around a product then you're yeah you're creating a marketing environment which really does sound mercenary so I'm so sorry for that <laughs> yeah but I mean, I mean that's that's what gets people to yeah. buy into it that's why you have people wandering around with tiny logos on t-shirts yeah. because that's what they've bought into yes that is and, so true they've bought into that they've not necessarily even brought into that piece of clothing yeah the clothing now or the item has to have all of its credentials and we're i'm so glad that we're a lot tougher on that as consumers but but that was the first time i thought oh this is fun like how do you create an atmosphere and an ambience and uh, I think I did I did get an official PR job in Glasgow for quite a sort of traditional marketing agency. Um, I think one of my clients was like a funeral director, so it was not cool. That was not necessarily a cool stage, but it introduced me me to things like you know client meetings and all the language and the stuff that goes around your industry. That when you're a newbie, you've no idea what anybody's ever talking about, so you're just watching all the time. Um, and yeah and I guess that was when I got a taste of yeah, being a part of a scene and I was really into sort of clubs in Glasgow I was into clubs in Dundee as well I would come between Glasgow and Dundee but it was always about who's that pack that you're hanging out with who are you going to get to sort of talk about what's happening or what you're working on and that was really my motivation to try and find paid work in that area. And so after that sort of first role with not exactly your dream client, but yeah. um, where where did you decide to go from there? Well, I think from that point in Glasgow for a few years, um, I I was on. I would sort of wanted to get to London. I wanted. I felt like that was where I needed to head. And even though arriving in Glasgow from Dundee, it meant you know, Glasgow was like a huge city, and there was so much to. But I was just on a journey that I thought, you know, all the cool stuff was happening in London, and. Um, yeah, I did. I, yeah, I had literally rocked up in London. I did have a job, so I was going to a job, but um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a network. Uh, I'd barely even been to London, to be honest. So I was pretty, yeah, I think it was quite naive. 
Um, and I lived in a bed and breakfast in Hammersmith for the first six, nine months. So, I mean, I really was just like winging it, so winging it. But you'd obviously, as we talked about, like you've bought into the, the idea, the concept, the scene the, where you wanted that thing you wanted to yeah. be part of. And yeah. it drew you in, even though you, you no idea what it was like. No idea. But I, I remember my whole Bible was ID magazine, Faith. You know, these magazines... Because it all all was like glossy magazines. It wasn't there wasn't really websites or anything. But it, those magazines sort of represented counterculture and all these kind of scenes. And I just thought, oh, and the, you read about the clubs that were there and the fashion brands and um, yeah. So that that was my direction. I thought I'm just going to do this and figure it out. So I worked for my first PR agency, which was so much more exciting than the one that had the funeral director was called Wizard PR. Now, even that name. Tell- yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was just off Oxford Street. Um, it was like four minutes walk to the huge big top shop on Oxford Street, which isn't there anymore. And I mean, even though my job was literally dragging huge big post sacks down the street, Oxford Street, I think the post office we went to was maybe just off South Moulton Street. So it was not cool because it was when you sent all the products out, all the, um, I should say I worked for a wizard, did loads of PR for beauty brands. So you would send the products out to the journalists and things. And so it was like literally a post office job. And I would drag these sacks through the streets and, uh, you know, for the last post, but I would get to look in all the windows of the shops and just yeah soak it all up and that was the start of it <laughs> how, basic stuff how long did you last there then well i never really meant to stay very long and i stayed 13 years so oh. I, I guess i got involved in some scenes and um, 13 years of dragon posts no so. no 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 I, I did i did manage to pass that kind of job on to somebody else but um yeah i was in london in total for 13 years and uh yeah it didn't actually move around agencies that much probably only two three or four in the end um but uh i always stayed within kind of lifestyle fashion talent i guess celebrities and stuff and i had a really bizarre role where i was an assistant to a woman called sandra casali and she was like an external pr for sony records and she looked after jennifer lopez and basically, my whole job was just to say no to anybody who asked to do anything with Jennifer Lopez. It's like, no, sorry, she's not available for that. No, sorry, she's not available for that. But I thought it was very cool. <laughs> and like, under no circumstances were you allowed to say anything well, else? Well, I mean, what was the likelihood of The Sun getting a story with Jennifer Lopez? You know, of course, when she had a record that came out or something, then you would do it. But it would all be very coordinated and very, very controlled. And um, But that was quite fun. Well, it wasn't because I didn't actually do any work. But yeah, to say that you worked for the, you were the assistant to somebody who worked for Jennifer Lopez was quite fun. I was all about the name dropping. <laughs> and I mean, so did you work with some, like a lot of high profile clients and brands at that point? I did sort of eventually. I kind of fell into that, into working with sort of fairly well-known people. When I say well-known, I mean well-known within some sort of fashion and beauty cir- circles. Although Kate Moss was, she's fake well-known. I didn't work directly for her. I worked for somebody who worked for her. Um, but I kind of got involved in that whole thing where, yeah, celebrity really was, you know, selling product. It was, they were on the front of all the magazines. Um, if you had a celebrity brand, you know, you could really sort of try and get a cover story as opposed to just a feature story. Um, and it was when paparazzi had like all that power. So we would do these crazy photo shoots where um, Kate Moss would turn up at an opening or whatever, and it would be like, maybe six deep photographers all with these you know cameras snapping away like shouting kite kite look this way look this way <laughs> and they were terrifying you know so terrifying it's like the, the sort of the power that's that you're involved in in terms of these pictures or the wrong picture going out or um so yeah that was quite stressful but exciting adrenaline fueled we, we will say adrenaline fueled on saying that though although it sounds all very glamorous and glossy I always thought of myself and still do sometimes think of myself as I don't know if you watch Alan Partridge but you know this sort of long-suffering assistant Lynn <laughs> that's always how I felt I never felt like the glamorous girl I always felt like the sort of put upon yeah I'll do that yeah I'll do that so um 
But I guess what did I learn from all of that? I, I learned how to, um, I just quite difficult people can, well, you know, not just, not all dif- always difficult, but people that have high expectations, there's a lot at stake, um, you know, there's a lot of money being put into campaigns or brand development or marketing. So you kind of just, how do you diffuse the situation? How do you still make it feel fun? You know, journalists don't want to be around a whole load of stressed people. You know, they want to have a nice time and, you know, get the story and get great pictures. Yeah, I, actually, I think about that a lot, about how a great picture does so much more than just words, you know, a really beautiful shot or a really evocative image. Um, and I love looking at photographs and I still, still, still love it so much. Um, so yeah, being involved in creating imagery and creating words that go with imagery is pretty exciting, not just the celebrity stuff. <laughs> and I mean, you, you sort of touched on it there, like it not always being quite, it's not always the, the glamour and then there is a lot of the, the work that goes on behind the scenes. Um, and I imagine, yeah, there was a lot of late nights and early mornings putting putting stuff together. Um, and especially, yeah, like more and more now you hear of stories of people maybe being taken advantage of or just giving people a really hard time for, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, for staff who are lower down in the pecking order or whatever that might be. I mean, is that sort of, did you have any of those sort of experiences working with such high profile people? Yeah, God, you're so right. Yeah, definitely, you know, we're in a much better place now where, you know, interns or assistants and things have to be, and rightly so, you know, have to be paid for their time or their travel. And But yeah, I guess when I was around that, yeah, you sort of just turned up and you kind of got on with it and you were just great, grateful to be there, which isn't, isn't right. I mean, I was always treated really, really well. I always worked for really good people, long, long hours and, you know, but fun, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to be anywhere else because you were kind of in the heart of things and you got to meet the really interesting people. And, um, But I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there was a, always, there was always interns and things coming through the doors at the agencies um, and they probably had quite, yeah, they were probably dragging the post bugs through the streets <laughs> and maybe they didn't love it so much. But hopefully they're all. But then, I, you know, I sometimes I stay in touch with a lot of those people and I can see some of them have their own agencies. You know, they have they've gone on to do great, good things. So, um, you know, maybe they were happy to sort of start out at the beginning like I was, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad it's it's a bit a lot more regulated now than it than it was. And so like what at that point when you'd been in London, like for me, better on. 10 to 13 years like what was your vision what was your ambition where did you want to go well I was been thinking about this quite a lot because I got I got it's so strange I mean I really got homesick after 13 years that's a long time to be away and then suddenly and I I think I just became less motivated to work on brands and things that I was struggling to find the integrity so I guess when I started out doing brands they were always startup brands but over time you know they became the big brands so for example one of the brands that I worked on from the very beginning was a brand called Space NK which you know when it started out was a one shop in Covent Garden set up by this really amazing entrepreneurial woman called Nikki Kinnaird and you know now and then it went on to like have shops all over the UK and was bought by Gap you know so when it once it got past that startup novel embryonic kind of oh my god we're really disrupting the marketplace and changing things I became less interested and I think my boss always recognized that and she would always put me on the kind of the the new breakthrough brands because just that's where I was always most where where I I guess got my motivation from um but uh, yeah I suppose as you know it's like anything isn't it you build up a brand they have to keep selling more you have to and it started to become tiresome and I just kind of thought oh god I've I've lost my my sort of passion for this and also living in London's hard you know it's really really hard it's expensive I could never get enough money together to kind of get a deposit for a place and you know I'd been there a long time so I wanted to put down roots but you know the goalposts just kept moving so I guess I just and I never wanted to do the moving out to the suburbs in London that never made sense 
So I kind of was a bit more in tune with what was going on in, at home, just maybe spending a wee bit more time at home. And, and I remember, I think I actually first heard about what was going on in Dundee with the waterfront in London. I'm sure there was a conversation and my ears pricked up and I thought, oh, that's, the, that's my scene. That's what I need to get back to. You know, and I just became, in the same way that I became so kind of dogged and passionate about getting to London, I became the same about getting back to Dundee. Like I was literally on a mission to find out how I was going to be able to move back, find a job back here. Um, I'd met my partner, who I'm now married to. I needed to persuade him because <laughs> he liked Scotland, but, you know, he was, England was his home. So, yeah, so it was a lot to do, but I, I, yeah, got on it, basically. Yeah, that was your hook, which is interesting, given where you've you've ended up. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get there in a bit. Yeah. Um, so how did you make those first steps then about, about other than... Um, prepared the family side and the yeah, logistical yeah. side but how did you prepare the, the sort of the career side of it to, to make that move I guess I just I just really tuned into it I you know, sort of was reading everything that was kind of bubbling away I started to think about you know who who the interesting people were I mean that's like it's probably wasn't that organised about it but it was definitely front of mind it was definitely front of mind and I thought how am I the biggest thing was I think in how am I going to work back in Dundee? I mean, I'd grown up grown up here, and I mean, I still knew it very well, even though I'd been away for, a, a, you know, maybe 15, 16 years. And I was thinking, I don't think there are any PRs in Dundee. I mean, what am I going to do? So I figured out, and I did, I guess, what a lot of people do. I kept a freelance job in London. Um, I moved back. And I was lucky enough to sort of negotiate something where I would just travel to London every two weeks and the rest of the time would work from the flat that my husband and I had bought in Carnoustie. And I was working for um, Dior, Parfum Christian Dior, which was really beautiful and they were just amazing company to work with. So I guess it's LVMH and uh, uh, a lot of the stuff I could do the people stuff I would do when I was in London and then also the admin stuff and the kind of background research and I would do from home. So I did that. I travelled between London and Dundee for four years. So it took me a long time actually to find my feet back in a city I grew up in. Yeah. And so is that building up a client base essentially? Yeah. And a whole new business really? Totally. It was just finding finding the network. So all the people I'd gone to school with, you know, a lot of them weren't here anymore. You know, I'd have my mum might say oh so and so works there but I didn't really have a network of my own and the first thing I did and uh, and I'm sure this is the f- gateway for so many people was it was Creative Dundee and I reached out to Gillian Eason and she had coffee and she was just so enthusiastic about you know the work I'd done and you know she didn't make me feel like well she just made me feel like she makes everybody feel like you're welcome you know I rocked up to Pecha Kucha and, you know, just was so excited to be in a room with all these people. I thought, oh, my God, I want to hang out with all these people. This is this is going to be great. And then I was just motivated to keep going. Um, but, yeah, so Creative Dundee and people at the university as well I kind of would just make appointments to go and see them. Um, and I still think the city is very much like that. You know, if you, you reach out and say, hey, I do this or this is the kind of thing that I'm into, would you have five minutes, 10 minutes for a coffee and a chat. I mean, people really will give you the time. Um, and that was certainly my experience, what, 12 years ago. Um, and I think at that point as well, the things were starting to bubble for the application for City of Culture. So that would have been 2014, 2013. No, is that right, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, it must have been Gillian that put me in touch with Stuart Murdoch, who I know has been on the podcast and... Um, he's just brilliant. He was like, right, well, you can help us with this because we're going for City of Culture. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, just sort of rolled into that posse of people that he gathered up to help him. And it was just brilliant. It was so exciting. And I was still working for Dior, but by far the Dundee projects were more exciting, which sounds, yeah. It's, yeah. But yeah, I, I was, I found, I felt like I would, could really make a difference but more than that I felt like I could be in a community again and I could do we could have the shared energy the shared collective energy and there's nothing better than that because yeah that's interesting obviously at different but different points in people's careers they look for different things out of of their career and their pursuits 
Um, and yeah, as a sort of as we grow older, and then as you say, like put down roots, and then we, our perspective changes, yeah. and our, the scale changes, and um, often the city and the living changes, and you want more space and things to be more comfortable. Yeah, it's interesting to that that shift again yeah. f- away from the okay, maybe slightly more glamorous. Yeah, um, it's so true. Of it too. So true, and it was. I never thought I would f- feel like that. Yeah, I, was, I thought that you know, all that kind of glossiness, for want of a better word, in London was for me. But I, I did grow tired of it because it just felt like it didn't have the heart or the soul that I that I needed, that I want. That still, that still is what makes me tick, work wise. You know, um, and always like to be slightly on the edge of things. Never really want to be in the corporate world, particularly. Um, so yeah, I was, yeah, I was, and still all those people that I met probably in that first couple of years are still so, you know, fundamental to the work that I do and to the projects that get cooked up together. And, you know, I guess even working with you and Lyle, when you did the first design festival, you know, that was an amazing, amazing moment for all of us, I think, involved. Like it really felt, wow, you know, this is, this is a big milestone in the city. Um, and I don't mean that to sound egotistical for any of us because it wasn't at all like that. It was just, it was like everything was right. The timing was right. The ideas were right. Getting the space at Westward Works, um, you know, the conversations that were happening across the city. Everybody was up for it, you know, and yeah. If, and it, there was space for everybody to be involved. It wasn't at all um, kind of an insular thing in any way. But yeah, it was a real pinch me moment and I remember having a wee greet to myself I think it was when the Claire Dow was working on who I think she's also been on your podcast um on the cardboard arch in Slessor Gardens and design festival was opening up across the way in Westwood Works where V&A Dundee wasn't you know open yet but the foundations were definitely there there was a whole load of international journalists that had arrived in the city that Visit Scotland had helped I should say at that time I think it was I was working for uh, Dundee City Council on the tourism campaign as well. So everything was just crossing over and it was just like this magical moment. And yeah, I remember having a wee cry. I think I phoned phoned somebody going, oh my God, it's really happening. <laughs> like a baby. But, um, that, was a, that was a good time. And there'll be more great times like that. Of course there will. That's just, that's just one of them that sort of stands out. But I mean, so, so what are the other, um, you described it as a pinch me moment. Like in your career, throughout it, what what are those ones that really stand out? Stand out, mostly in Dundee. To be honest, most of my pride comes from the projects that I've been involved in, working with people here, like City of Culture. We didn't get it, but the We Dundee, all those ideas that that came forward, um, you know, and so much of it's DIY, isn't it? It's like literally, like we're just going to do this and we're going to figure it out, and we don't even know if we've got the money yet, but we'll find it. And that's like the adrenaline that that goes through your whole system when you're working in that way is fantastic. There's nothing better. Um, you can burn out, mind you, when you work like that all the time. So you have to be able to balance it with maybe some more calmer, um, organized things. But uh, oh, other great things. I guess, yeah, talking about, you know, the people that are the glue between projects. And I know you and I talked about this a little bit, but so it's maybe people that are not necessarily in the headlines or they're not necessarily the people that give the quotes or not necessarily even people that that have the initial ideas. But the, they're the people that the supporters and the, the glue that say, OK, right, well, we need to do this bit, which, you know, could be the PR, the marketing or the getting the great images, you know. And I think that there's so many people in Dundee that just do that effortlessly, like Alan Richardson, the photographer, um, you know, he's a professional photographer, but if you need him to help you with an image or come up with an idea for an image that he'll be like, okay, something like this might get in the paper. So, you know, you can have that chat with him or, um, oh God, there's so many people. I was thinking the other day, sorry, I'm jumping back, but the pinch me moment, because it's so good to see the degree show back in town in real life. It's oh, just brilliant. Um, and a, probably it was about 10 years ago, one of my first projects, which was I just thought I need to kind of make things happen. Um, and I kind of worked with a gang of people and we 
organised a pop-up Prosecco bar in the Tartan Cafe on Degree Show Night. And that was with Aitkins. And that's before Aitkins had a, their own bar. So maybe they got a wee taste of what it was like to serve their product but to an audience. Um, but Suze Gordon did all the interior design in the Tartan Cafe. Like, we literally, like, redesigned it for one night. Um, and there was a great girl who I don't think she's sort of involved in the creative scene anymore, but a girl called Erin Ward, who's so talented. And she actually designed the Wee Dundee shoes that we gave to Lorraine Kelly that are in the McManus. Um, so it was just a gang of people that were like, come on, let's just make something happen. Um, so that was a good moment because I didn't really know anybody. I didn't even really know if anybody would turn up to that, to be honest. Um but they did, and it was like, yeah, so much fun, and the place was jumping, and uh, it was a really good moment, yeah. And I've totally digressed, so I'm so no, sorry. No, but <laughs> yeah, I, I want to jump back to yeah. the, what you're talking about, the lovely analogy of, of being the glue between the elements of the um, the creative community, because I think you're right, there's, there is the real need for those sort of facilitators, um, the people who can speak to the right people to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the Gillian Eason's, the Claire Dow's, the Annie Mars, like they all are the like super connectors or the, the people who can sort of break down the barriers and just let you focus on what you need to do or what you're good at, or what you specialise in. Um, and the creative community wouldn't work without those people. And I think the the analogy of glue is, is sort of perfect because it's sort of, they are the people who hold it all together and make things happen. And I've definitely been in a lot of those conversations where people say, "We don't have the money, but let's just keep going and we'll work yeah. it out." And it, it always it always happens and it always works. And I think that's that's the real benefit of the the scale of Dundee, the the sort of the personal scale of it, the the ability to make connections really quickly and get to the right person and have that impact. And I think we're we're quite lucky in that respect that we have a scale that that, that works like that. Mm-hmm. I'd agree entirely. I think that's a, such a such the beauty of the city actually is that you're you surely we must only be like two degrees of separation. And I don't mean that to say, I hope hope that doesn't sound insular because maybe somebody's listening and well, I don't know who those people are. But I guess what I'm trying to say is honestly, with just a little nudge or, a, you know, asking around, it, the doors open up quite quickly. And I, I mean, I really do hope they, they do. And I mean, I feel like I'm not the only person that could kind of, could say that that had happened to them or for them. Um, you know, certainly if anybody ever wanted to get in touch with me, I would gladly say, let's meet for a coffee. And I'd more than happy to sort of talk to you about your project and how I would help you or how I could just give you some advice. And I think there's lots and lots and lots of people that would do exactly the same yourself and um, Lyle included. But yeah, you're right. You're right. It takes so many people to be in that pot, doesn't it? To be in that sort of um, enthusiastic state of mind and can go off and, and do the bits that need to happen while the creative or the, the, the people who've put together the project are getting on with the nuts and bolts. Um, the storytelling, you know, wh- what is the story that we're going to tell, you know, because it often needs to be edited or you're holding certain bits back for a certain point in time. You know, what are the other things going on? What's the context? You know, what do we want to jump on the back of? What do we want to avoid? Um, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the kind of role that I would play with with PR and stuff but um, you know who's the people that's going to take the great pictures like like Alan or you know Chris Scott loads of photographers that are around the city are. and the other thing that isn't often really talked about but they're so so important here in Dundee and I often think god we're so lucky is that you know the media that we have here we have DC Thompson like a huge publishing effort you know, we have our own BBC Scotland office I mean what other cities outside the capital cities have that so you know we've got that outlet to the world really and there's always been you know well you know a real sort of set of journalists that have been very comfortable with and really interested in kind of creative art story stories will really help you you know get those column inches or get that online story whatever it is you think you need to develop your your uh, event or your launch um yeah and I often think about those individuals and think god we wouldn't really dundee would not be where it is without those guys and girls kind of helping us put together those those stories but uh yeah it takes a lot of people it takes a lot of people to really get something off the ground 
So I think you actually touched on it um, before, but didn't go into it in much depth. But you spent a bit of time um, sort of in-house with Dundee City Council. Um, obviously quite a different approach, I suppose, um, as opposed to a more corporate brand. So what was that experience like? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that that retainer I had with, that's a sort of, the term they would use but it was when I had Pater PR which was my own the name for my own business and uh, One City Many Discoveries which is the tourism campaign for the city um, was was a really important piece of work for me because it was um, a, a monthly fee and it was an ongoing thing so rather than sort of project based so it meant that I knew that I had that money and I could just work with them long term so in the end I think it was sort of got over six seven maybe eight years it was quite a long time um and that was you know that was really thinking about what our what the city's image was you know what are the photos that were putting out in the world a lot of the pictures were quite just being as beautiful as they are but they were building led they didn't necessarily have people in them they didn't show what the atmosphere was like so you know it was there was loads of different things going on um and obviously we had the story to tell about the waterfront work and about vna dundee coming and about how all of the organizations across the city had worked together to make that happen so it was a you know a beautiful story like a, a dream story um and needed told in a million different ways to a million different types of audience and magazines and newspapers and things so there was a lot lot of work to do but there was again a really brilliant brilliant moment where sort of inadvertently we came up with this sort of sunny dundee campaign which is those yellow sunglasses which are still doing the rounds which is so nice when you get to see somebody wearing them because they do look really good they look great great in pictures but that idea actually came from ed broughton and uh nikki broughton who have a a film video production company who I shared an office at Fleet Collective with, which we didn't touch on. And I should have really said way back that was one of the real grounding ways that I found my feet in Dundee was joining Fleet Collective, that shared workspace. And, you know, I don't think everybody had completely different jobs, uh, but we all cross fertilized ideas that's a terrible world but uh yeah we all kind of came up with plans and socialized a bit together and so that that was pretty amazing but um but yeah Sonny Dundee Nick um sorry Nikki and Ed were working on a series of films to promote Dundee as sort of you know that as a great place to eat great place to go out and they figured that these yellow sunglasses just looked so good in the video and they really did they jumped out on the the two kind of actors that they had playing the part of being a young couple coming to Dundee and enjoying their weekend um and they sort of threw around the idea of sunny Dundee and that had always been a thing you know that Dundee's Scotland's sunniest city so we just kind of built a campaign a mechanism really behind that um ordered you know thousands and thousands of pairs of sunglasses got in touch with all of the different organizations from like chamber of commerce to the hotels to visit scotland like anybody that you could think that was front facing to visitors or people coming to the city um and just kind of asked if they would you know get on board and take a bundle of glasses and either wear them themselves or give them out to their customers and just use that hashtag sunny dundee and just went for it and i think the, th- the thing about it is just the simplicity of it. It's just dead simple. And it just meant it, people can just roll into it really easily and have fun with it too. It doesn't always need to be laboured or, um, you know, or particularly difficult to get your head around. So that was a fun moment. That really epitomised that kind of summer of what would have been 2017, 2017, 2018, leading up to 2018. Um that was exciting. But yeah, there is also an example of, you know, it's often a really great campaign or a idea is just the sum of loads of different conversations and it, it develops into something from the germ of something. And again, that's why being in a shared space or being in a place where lots of different people from lots of different disciplines and backgrounds can share ideas and cross over thoughts there, that's when the best things come together, you know, rather than maybe sitting on your own and doing your work silently, <laughs> which I know we've had to do during the pandemic. But yeah, bring back those days where we can just all hang out and like share daft ideas with with each other. Um, 
Yeah, Sunny Dundee, that was another good moment. City of, working up to City of Culture, Sunny Dundee. Yeah, finding like-minded people in the city, all good, good times. Yeah, and I suppose, I mean, not not too long after that campaign, um, there was the the opening of uh, quite an iconic building in the city um, that yeah you couldn't really get away from, which I suppose was like a a PR dream for the city, if you like. Yeah, no, it totally was, and it feel I still feel like it was the number one reason that I headed back home. You know, I just thought, oh, this is I have to be a part of this. Like, I really can't miss this. Um, and it was it was a, just so exciting and in a way maybe even you know as you saw the building go up that was just it was the possibility wasn't it? it's the promise of possibilities and it was the promise of change it was like okay what's happening next and everybody's obviously got lots of different opinions on that and you know and that will continue you know it's we're still at such an early stage aren't we really when we think okay we've physically we're more than well way more halfway through the sort of waterfront transformation but you know a city is always working towards the next stage what's next and Eden Project on the horizon and you know a whole load of other things going on so yeah it's never it was never going to be a line in the sand it's just kind of what what does it take us to next but it was a really really exciting time and the partnership opportunities for people to work with all sorts of organizations so Visit Scotland you know played a huge part in talking to journalists all over the world really about Dundee I mean in India and Germany and America and Japan China I mean it's ridiculous and that press cutting book that came back is just you know like three phone books um, and I should say I wasn't I wasn't working for VNA Dundee at the time I was one of the the, the sort of I guess the many people that were working together across the universities and um, council, all the sort of stakeholders and the partners, but it was such a joined up effort um, that it was pretty exciting. And just to that first sort of batch of journalists that travelled to Dundee to kind of be the first to go in and meet Ken Gakuma and see the building for themselves. And then obviously we had the 3D festival in Slessor Gardens with Primal Scream, which is, is just, yeah, a, another total pinch me moment. It was so exciting. Um, the way the building was lit up, uh, which I, I know you guys are involved in that too. And uh, yeah, I just felt like, yeah, it did feel like the, the the heartbeat of the city. You know, it was it was pulsing, it was vibrating, vibrant. And it wasn't, to me, it was never just about VNA Dundee. It was about the collective energy across the city and that sense of what we can do when we all lean in together. And it's pretty powerful. Yeah, and if the, there was this sort of huge spotlight on the city we get popping up in all these top 10 lists of this and that which sort of makes you realize how sort of uh, fickle they are oh god um, yeah, yeah. but uh but yeah to get that cut through is pretty amazing you know when you think about all the other cities in the world that are doing sort of variations similar sort of things so, yeah yeah and, and i suppose for me i've always felt that like in dundee obviously you don't have the scale of an edinburgh or a glasgow and that in order to to sort of, as we talked about before, sort of poke your head up above that noise, that Dundee always has to punch above its weight mm-hmm. um, to to be heard, to be known, to be seen. Like, do you, do you think that's still the case? Definitely, really. It's in fact, it's it continues to be will always be a challenge. But you know, when you're telling a story, when you you can weave together so many great things that are happening, so many startup things, so many established things. You know, you, we've always got a great story there. We just need to keep refreshing it, top and tail it, changing it around. You know, new restaurants open, opening, that gives you another angle or, you know, the degree show or it doesn't have... In fact, the best story is never really just about one element. It's about a whole load of things that are coming together that you can kind of paint a picture of all different colours and uh, stages and and people are fascinated by I think smaller cities that just have this heartbeat and this scene going on you know they just think oh god how does that work you know and when you think about it 
again, I was sort of saying when I moved back home, I was thinking, how am I going to find a job? There are no necessarily like big brands here. But when you think about it, there's so many, there's so many great brands that have started up here or made their home here, like 71 Brewing, you know, the, the restaurants we've got, the art galleries, like there is a lot to talk about. Um, and I know maybe not in comparison to the big, big cities, but I actually always think the second cities, like the scale of Dundee, are always more fascinating to visit anyway because I enjoy kind of feeling that you get to know the local people or if I'm travelling, you get to chat to real people. You know, it's you're not just another tourist. Like you will really, if you want, you know, get hauled into a conversation or a pub crawl or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. It's all possible because everything's kind of just um, easy to access and easy to kind of find your way and like to move on to a little bit more of the sort of the, the technical of your role and how that actually works like how much i suppose how much of it is about who you know and mm. those connections and those conversations and how much of it do you feel is like what you know oh that is a good question i think it's all of those things like i think yeah, you really want to just know who is out there and who's doing interesting things and who's interested in what. And often if you think, oh, I can make that introduction or I can join that person up with that person. So it does serve you well to just have an eye and an ear on everything, which actually in a way can be, it's hard because, you know, it's like you, you want to be everywhere and you want to be at everything. And with that does come a bit of burnout and a bit of like, oh my God, I actually physically can't <laughs> do all those things at once. Um, but definitely it's all those things. It's who's out there, who's doing interesting things, who's interested in other people. Um, it's often really about timing. When is the right time to talk about something? You know, when, it, you know, it's like that collective consciousness is, you know, what's going on in the world in general? Is there a movement towards something? So if you've got a story or some body or something that can tap into that you know you're already halfway there because people want to write those stories um, or you know maybe you're at the early stage of that so then you need to kind of generate that movement or that kind of collective um, thinking around the message that you're trying to put out there but yeah I think and co kind of being constant being consistent about it as well is really important like one press release or one phone calls never going to do it I mean you have to be at it all the time um which is why even though I think it's it is actually so so possible and more so now for people to do their own PR it doesn't ever I don't think it has to be um kind of contracted out at all because the way that you can use social media and stuff but that's the issue is like do you have time every day to do this and you know are you going to be comfortable with that but if if people are then absolutely go for it just kind of surround yourself with a couple of good advocates that are going to you know talk on your behalf or you know share your posts and be quite methodical about it but yeah the consistency um your network I mean it's there's still loads and loads of journalists that I would be able to get in touch with now and say, hey, we've not spoken in a long time, but I've got this story and, you know, would you be interested? And they'll soon tell you if they're not. Um, and so how have you built those connections? Is that through meeting them events? Is that through just messaging them or phoning them? Or like, how, how have you built up that network of connections? I mean, it's kind of, a, again, it's a mixture of everything. I mean... You always want to be on the lookout for new contacts and new journalists if you're interested in what they're doing or they're doing some you know cool things. It's good to make a point of getting in touch with them or saying you know I've read your stuff or you know would you be interested in this. That's hard though because that's kind of cold calling and you know not we all know not everybody responds to that. So you need to work at it. You know you need to be on the lookout for something that you know is of value to give them, whether that's a story or an introduction and and sometimes actually kind of working with media and journalists it's like it's not always just about your own story like if you know that somebody else is doing something great and they're not necessarily on your books you'll be like well hey I can help out with that you know and so then they come to you as a source of information because you they know you've been good on your word and you've kind of said signposted them to things that might not necessarily you, you might not necessarily be representing but you think this is a good thing and you, this fits in with the story you're working on so I guess you just always have to be quite generous and um and 
and interested and always open to everything that's going on that's got that little bit of something you think okay there, there's that's going to travel there's a little bit of direction that, that's happening there and i suppose like a lot of it is about this, this kind of alignment right everyone's mm-hmm. got an agenda yeah agenda everyone's got this like the goals that they're aiming for and you have to kind of i mean it, it will depend on the on the piece or the um the work or whatever it is you're you're promoting but how much you need to squeeze that and pull that and manipulate that in order to align that with someone else's goals absolutely yeah and that and they're the you know the best things when you think like you can line up two three four different things that have a common denominator but they might be you know they might have a whole different sort of set of things there's just you can see where that thread is that you can pull in together um but often you know, you often don't start off with the perfect set of things to create a story. So you have to go searching, you have to go finding supporting images or create new images or find different people that are doing interesting things to really beef it up and, and build it up. So, yeah, I guess you're always on the hunt, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, but then you also kind of get a sense of you think, OK, that's got all the ingredients. That's going to that's going to make a really good piece. If we just add in X, Y, Z, we're there. Um, but yeah, still, it doesn't always work. Yeah, and I think that's where the st- I was thinking about that where the stress comes from a t- sort of typical kind of PR job. And also, when I'm talking about, I'm really fo- like honing right in into sort of PR. There's loads of other jobs that you do when you work in communications, but I'm really specifically talking about public relations stuff. Um, is that you know when when you're working to place a story place a feature or something is that there's not there's not really a transaction between you and that title I mean there is obviously that person's been paid by the client or whoever but really it's down to the relationship that you have with that person and then want make it helping them see your the story that you're trying to sell or them caring enough to want to actually put into print because in different in the way that you would in marketing where there is a you know there's a payment there's a fee to buy that ad space or to buy that digital space when it's a straightforward PR exchange it really is just built on that relationship that you've got and that you're going you're going to that person with a whole sort of suite of things that you think okay this is going to get into print or online and that's a big thing as well it's like the the media has just exploded so much you know you've got to cover so so many different things online print and when I started out, if you didn't get your story in the evening standard, like that was the holy grail. Now, you know, who really cares? It's like you need to be on the internet or else it's not really happened. And I suppose, like, I mean, you've worked on a real wide range of projects with a wide range of clients over the years, and there must have been a few jobs or, um, like promotions or features that you maybe didn't agree with or that you maybe didn't feel the messaging was quite right or were maybe quite opposed to it. How do you deal with a a job like that where you maybe have to put your own personal feelings or input to one side? Yeah, definitely. That That's hard because, you know, obviously like anybody who's, you know, has a professional perspective is, you know, you know how you like to do it and you know the order of things you like to do it and it often doesn't work out like that uh, because there's so many different things going on at the same time so I think I always try and well I think actually more than that I think I always always work from a place of positive energy I don't do well with negative energy so I will do everything in my power to for the atmosphere to be right for the chemistry to be good I always believe once chemistry starts to go wrong you know oh everything starts to fall apart and it's so difficult to get back on track so um, I think I think you have to just be quite intuitive to know is there a wee niggle that needs sorted out or is there a relationship that's not quite um, you know going along as as the way it should Um, so I think yeah I think probably I'm pretty intuitive to that and I hope it never really gets to that stage where it all starts to get a bit oh you know you just think oh no this isn't going right um so maybe over the years I've just figured out how to sort of solve those things and I think the other thing as well is like working with loads of other people you know maybe it's not maybe I'm not necessarily the right person in a particular project to get it back on track or but you you know you can commission people to work with you you know there might be sort of 
writers that are going to be able to kind of craft that message much better than you can. Um, in fact, I, that was one of the things I enjoyed most about when I was freelance is when I did have budget or if you know a client said okay this is the budget that we've got is was definitely to commission other people and to say what would you do with this you know how how, how would you go about it so it was never always just uh, from or I preferred when it was never just one source and it was like a hodgepodge of different ideas um, but when it how do you I think you always just maybe have to acknowledge that there's something that needs worked through and not try and shove it aside or not try to pretend it's not there. And I think sometimes as soon as you've acknowledged that there's an issue to work through, you kind of get there in the end. You know, people find that passion that they started out with again. Um, that's a real PR answer I've just given you, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so have you ever turned down work because you just feel, felt it wasn't right or you couldn't do it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But I would have turned it down very politely. So the, <laughs> the person wouldn't even have known that I'd turned it down. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, if you can't, if you can't kind of be passionate or believe in what you're PR and that's the toughest gig ever. Yeah. And so people who can do that, I mean, hats off to them because you've, yeah, you've got a really hard time to do that. So I don't think I've ever, ever worked for anything that I've really disliked. I don't think I could, I just couldn't do it. It has to be, it has to come from a place of integrity, definitely. And obviously you're, I mean, not maybe so much in the, the recent past, but you have to be out at events, you have to be the face, you have to be speaking to people, you have to be sort of on um, all the time when you're out working, I suppose. Um, so how do you, how does your persona differ from that person who's out there meeting entertaining journalists taking them out for lunch all that sort of stuff as opposed to the person who's sitting at a desk doing the day-to-day -day. oh that's a good question yeah it's quite different yeah quite different I'm quite sort of hyper focused when I'm just at my desk and working and I like a lot of people I like to work through all the steps of things in advance like what's going to happen next what's going to happen next um and I'd like again a lot of people that are you know work hard I suppose I definitely need downtime I need time when I'm just not really speaking to anybody quite sort of solitary sometimes <laughs> the weekend but um oh but then I'm also such a nosy bugger like I love to be in amongst everything you know I love to I like being being able to connect people, tell other people's stories on their behalf, say, oh, God, you know, you need to know this person or, um, yeah, enjoy sort of advocating for other people and their projects. And it doesn't always, you know, I just I just like doing that, actually. I just always like to be the one that can say, ah, but you, have you heard of this or this is about to happen? Or, you know, there's quite a bit of, there's a good feeling that comes from that. There's a little bit of power that comes from that in the nicest possible way. Um, and I suppose... Yeah, it's like anything, isn't it? You, it's you refine it over the years. I'm sure I've been quite clumsy at it, and maybe not always as deft as I could have been. But I think when you enjoy it and it comes naturally, and I've really missed, I've really, really missed socialising and being out and about um, over the pandemic. I found that really difficult. I felt like I didn't, yeah, couldn't identify myself if that sounds like I sort of recognize myself as being out and about and at openings and hearing what's going on and that just all stopped and I just really struggled with who I was and what I stood for and so but like I hope well I think from speaking to a lot of people you know it's taken time to get back in it's it's not all just bounced back and all come back entirely naturally I think there's a little bit of an adjustment period for us all to go through yeah, and I think like for me, the degree show was a bit of a yeah. one of those moments where you go like, ah, oh, I remember what this was like. It's yeah. kind of nice just bumping into people that um, you've not seen literally in, in years, three, maybe more years. Yeah, um, so nice. And it is that sort of, yeah, there's a bit of a liberating feeling about it. It's just yeah. nice. Yeah, it does. And it feels like, uh, yeah, it feels like a, a bit of a new dawn. You know, we know what we're doing and we know, well, we know all of the kind of the corners of things that I guess we talk about as a city and as a kind of creative community and things but it feels like we need to refresh like like we always do you know 
you have to always kind of keep telling a new story and I just think it's a really interesting point you know what is what is our refreshed story what do we talk about next and um, and not just what do we talk about next how do we talk about it collectively how do we find those that sort of pulse and that energy across us all because we know that that works really really well we've proven it through all of these projects over the last well for the the time that I've been involved I mean there's been countless projects way before then but um, yeah so I'm really excited about that I'm really excited about what is our next collective yeah moment. that next one the pinch yes. moment and um, maybe there'll be a Petra Kutcher or something coming up, coming up soon and we can all kind of get stuck into thinking what that is and how everybody can kind of roll in together but yeah I'm excited for when that comes whatever it is can we just stop using tea puns everywhere <laughs> I'm just yeah no that's definitely it's, it's had its day now yeah, yeah we need to move on from that yeah. <laughs> yeah um so d- just before we finish up i normally ask people to recommend things that they've been enjoying recently um but actually i'm going to put you on the spot a little bit um you mentioned earlier about people being able to sort of do their own pr now they they have the tools at their disposal um it's totally possible but maybe people are sitting listening to that going, that's great, but what, like, what do I do? How do I start? Um, yeah, so like, I, I'm just looking for some little tips or things that people can do to actually start that journey of, of doing their own PR or even just getting that little bit of traction on their own. Definitely. Um, and it is, it is completely doable. And I think, you know, even now you'll see... So if you, you know, the, the field that you're in, design or craft or whatever it is you know you'll be able to on twitter find the journalists that uh that are relevant to you or to your stories you know so whether it's design journalists or news journalists and you know most people have their email addresses on their twitter handle they're like journalists really do want people to come forward that are not always through a sort of a a medium of a an agency or a pr so you know do your research who your contact list is it doesn't have to you don't have to think oh i need a contact list of about 100 people you know it might even just be 10 15 people and over time you'll add to that because you'll kind of start lasering in on on the the journalists or the influencers if that's that's where you're going that are relevant to to your audience um so you just a little bit of research you know get your get your contact list together you know think about it in terms of a, of a calendar over the year you know when would be a good point to talk about what you're doing is it you probably always you know just before your project actually launches so you give the journalist time to think about um you know how they would approach it um so a bit of a calendar you know you'll not really get results just by one send out or by getting in touch with a journalist once you kind of need to think okay I'm going to do this eight times across the year that could be manageable if you book it into your whole system and you just think about those pulse points you know what's the What's the sort of the build up of the story that you're going to tell? You know, you might just want a general press release that's just about you and your kind of background, your product. And then you could think about the different stages that you're going to go back to them with more information. Um, really, really great photography always helps, you know, and spend a bit of time thinking about what you want that to be in your background. And yeah, it's kind of like a toolkit, isn't it? It's just get your get your words together, get your images together get your contact list um, and, you know, you, there's a format to a press release, you know, the why, what, where, when, we all know, but still be yourself, you know, just totally tell your story in your own words, but don't be too random because they don't have time to sort of <laughs> try and dilute, uh, try and kind of figure out what you're trying to say. So, yeah, you do need to make your point, but um, and then just be consistent on your social channels and stuff and direct message people reach out to them but don't waste their time kind of go to them with something that's probably sounds all really obvious and i've not given any information that's helpful to everybody no, no, i mean it, it, this consistency i think is the biggest one don't just yeah. do it once and i think also having all that in a concise little yeah we folder yeah just have it to hand and spend a bit of time on it if you can't spend it do it all at once you know just book out that kind of time uh in your in your calendar sort of once a month or something and just always the other thing as well is like what titles do you like reading what podcasts you like listening to you know if you are passionate about that outlet that that podcast or magazine or you know newsletter whatever it is 
then you can communicate with them in a way that's truthful and you can think, oh, I loved when you did that story. You know, I've actually got something that you might be interested in. That's your, that gets you in the door every time. They'll at least want to hear what you've got to say. I'm sure of it. Thanks for the, the yeah, even though I put you on the spot, that's brilliant. Um, if anyone wants to find you or get in touch, how do they do that? Yeah, I would so like, always, always open for people to get in touch, even if it's just a wee chat about what they're up to and maybe what they want to, how they would kind of go about planning their um, promotional stuff. So the best email for me would probably be my V&A Dundee one. Um, so it's jenny.patterson at vnadundee.org um, or also on social media Jenny Patter that's how you'd find me and uh, always up for a chat always interested to hear what people are doing and up to and um, getting on with yeah I'm nosy like that <laughs> that's great thanks very much thank you so much this has been a lot of fun So um, thanks very much to Jenny for coming and being a guest on the podcast. Um, one of the things I wanted to pick out that really um, loved about this episode was Jenny's description of, of what PR is. It's often been a world that I've not really known very much about and how it, how it operates is still a little bit of a mystery. But um, I, I think it's, as Jenny said, it's very much about making people care. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone's got something they want to say, but it's the 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 gatekeepers, the people who hold the power, who are going to write the words and get things published, or put it on their blog or their social or whatever. Um, yeah, why should they care about the the content that you have or the story that you have to tell? And it's really yeah about making those genuine connections and with people, and and making them care about about what you're up to. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was a really nice, simple way of, of thinking about it and doing it. And hopefully that you find um, Jenny's hints and tips useful um, and helpful about getting your own work out there. Because it, it can often be quite daunting or um, difficult to, to to promote what you're up to. And, and yeah, it's, it's a lot to do once... Um, once you've just completed a big project or whatever, maybe the last thing you want to do is be diving back in and, and then having to, to talk about it and promote it again. But it is so, so valuable. Um, and as Jenny says, she is very much open to, to chatting to people. Um, so do get in touch if you're looking for any more advice. Um, but yeah, uh, all that remains to say is you can follow the podcast for more updates on episodes that are coming and new releases it's at ccc dundee on twitter and instagram facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ccc dundee and you can also support the podcast uh, thank you to everyone who's done so so far and um, you can buy me a cup of coffee uh, it's ko-fi.com forward slash ccc dundee um, all the support is very much appreciated thank you to everyone um but yeah that's it for this week. Until next week. Bye.